The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a flag-hugging weirdo to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. The logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the ad hominem fallacy, also known as abusive fallacy, personal attack and name calling. So uh, I can't quite believe it's taken us this long to get around to the ad hominem yeah, yeah. fallacy. It <laughs> yeah. is one yeah. of the, it's not only one of the best known, but it's yeah. one of the mo- ones that people most associate with Trump. Yeah. Um, and I have to admit that when I wrote the book that this podcast is based on, available in all good bookstores, um, I did think that this would be so easy to find examples of. But actually, it's surprisingly tricky. And that's because of the nature of the ad hominem fallacy, which is um, it is it's Latin for to the man, yeah. which is because this is about attacking the person who's making the argument rather than attacking the argument itself. Mm-hmm. But... The key point is that it's not just about insulting people. And that's really what Trump does a lot. Yeah. He spends a great deal of time name-calling and attacking people. And then but trying he them out. Always, yeah. yeah, he doesn't always do it in the context of an argument mm. <laughs> or in the context yeah. of making a point. Often yeah. it's just insulting people. And, and that's not a fallacy, just insulting someone no. or saying, for example, if I said that Trump doesn't know anything about wall building and he's an orange shit given Mm. that's not uh, a logical fallacy that is two independent facts (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) if i said he doesn't know anything about the wall building because he's an orange shit given that's that's okay right so and it's it's his orange shit givenness that means he's unsuited for the office of wall builder yeah, purely and that, on that, the, the basis it's hard that. to make yeah. that case, really. Mm. So, so that's why it's not as easy as I thought to find examples with Trump. Right. But still, to be fair, there's there's plenty to go around. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> so, so um, the first example is from an interview that he did on Fox and Friends in 2017, and uh, Pete Hegseth, the interviewer, asked about Elizabeth Warren. How do you overcome that when someone like Senator Warren, literally Elizabeth Warren, literally says people are going to die because of President Trump's health care bill? Well, I actually think she's a hopeless case. I call her Pocahontas, and that's an insult to Pocahontas. I actually think that she is uh, just somebody that's got a lot of hatred, a lot of anger. So he didn't address the, the point that was being asked at no. all. He didn't talk about health care. He didn't say why she's wrong about her stance on his health care plan. He just attacked her and and said about how she's got a lot of anger and, and he calls her Pocahontas. Uh, and that's absolutely classic ad hominem. It's it's avoiding, as so many logical fallacies do, avoiding the question, avoiding the point that's being made and focusing on something else. And in this case, it's focusing on the person that's making the argument. And and saying because she's got a lot of anger and all that stuff, that then that makes her um, objection or the point that she was making it makes it irrelevant because she's just angry and therefore you can't uh, ascribe any sense to what she's saying or trust what she's saying. Yeah. That's why it's okay to dismiss her basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and he's just horrifyingly pleased with himself about calling her Pocahontas. You know, I call her Pocahontas, you know, uh, and that's an insult to Pocahontas. Uh, (laughs) But that's, that's just being an arse. You know, why, yeah, is, it really why, is. And why does nobody yeah. call him out? Go, you're the president of the United States. Why are you calling people names? What are you, eight? The thing is, he, do- he loves it. He loves calling people's names. He's really good at it. If 
he had a wider vocabulary, he would be better at it. He would actually yeah. maybe come up with some original ones every now and again instead of just reusing the same things and talking about the same same insults all over again. He does this a lot as well with Senator Richard Blumenthal. He he uses the same attack again and again and again. Back in 2017, when uh, Neil Gorsuch was being nominated for Supreme mm. Court seat, he apparently talked to various senators and had told them that he thought Trump's uh, criticisms of the federal judiciary were disheartening and demoralizing. So basically, Gorsuch was was talking shit about Trump to the senators. Right. Uh, Richard Blumenthal made this public. He basically talked about this to the press, and it was confirmed by other people who were present. And he said that uh, he thought that, that Gorsuch should basically have the courage to come out and say these things in public. Mm. When Trump was asked about this, here's what he said. His comments were misrepresented. And what you should do is ask Senator Blumenthal about his Vietnam record that didn't exist after years of saying it did. So ask uh, Senator Blumenthal about his Vietnam record. He misrepresented that just like he misrepresented uh, Judge Gorsuch. So he's claiming incorrectly that Blumenthal misrepresented what Gorsuch said and yeah. and is is deflecting by saying ask him about Vietnam, ask him about his lies that he told about Vietnam. Right. And then tying them together saying, Yeah, yeah. you see he's just a, a serial misrepresenter. Trump brings this up again and again again, <laughs> what what Blumenthal said about Vietnam. In fact, on another occasion he went quite a lot further and said this. That's Blumenthal. He talked about when I was in Da Nang province in Vietnam, and I was fighting up the hill and men are going left and right of me, they're dying. They're being struck by bullets. But I went back to their rescue. I went back and I got them. And then I made a second attempt and bullets are going left and right and over my shoulders and they're hitting my men. And I used to think, wow, this guy's a pretty brave guy. And then I found out he's a fraud. He never was in Vietnam. So that played very well with the rally crowd yeah. that he was talking to. Yeah. <laughs> you might be surprised to find that Blumenthal didn't say some of those things. No. Um, about his military experience. In fact, um, PolitiFact found literally everything he'd ever said about serving in Vietnam. Yeah. Which... Um, constituted three events. Um, right. In 2003, Blumenthal was speaking at a rally supporting troops overseas. He said, uh, when we returned, we saw nothing like this. That's what he said. That's it. That suggests that, oh. that, that he had been serving overseas. Right. Um, he hadn't been serving overseas. In fact, he was in the Marine Corps Reserves, but he served six years in, in D.C. area and in Connecticut during the Vietnam era. Right. But he didn't serve in Vietnam. So that was his quote. When we returned, we saw nothing like this. Right. And who was he saying that to? He was saying this at a rally supporting troops overseas. So he was basically saying, we didn't see any of this support right. from the people who love the troops yeah. when we got back, oh, when we came from, yeah. from Connecticut. Right. From, yeah. well, again, implying yeah, that yeah. he'd been in Vietnam or, yeah. or away. Um, he said a similar thing in 2007 at a Memorial Day parade in Connecticut. And at a 2008 ceremony for veterans and senior citizens, Blumenthal said, we've learned something important since the days that I served in Vietnam. Ah. That is the extent of his claims that he fought in Vietnam. Right. <laughs> the, the, the other bits are just taken from Forrest Gump. Yeah. So the, the entire yeah. thing about Da Nang province, which yeah. isn't even a province, it's a city. And yeah. um, and about fighting up the hill and bullets left and right and people yeah. dying and him going back for other people and yeah. all, it's completely Le made up made by up. Trump. He's Whoa. never said that at all. Wow, it's weird. And in fact, in that ceremony in two thousand eight, Blumenthal said, "We've learned something important since the days I've served in Vietnam." But previously, yeah. in that same speech, he said that he'd served during the Vietnam era. So he was. Right. It's just another kind of another way of saying it, which implied more. And mm. and in 2010, he, he said, although I did not serve in Vietnam, I've seen firsthand the effects of military action. That's two yeah. months before the right. the kind of New York Times article that Trump repeatedly references saying right. that 
Blumenthal got caught claiming he was in Vietnam yeah. and he cried and cried and apologised. He didn't cry. He <laughs> he said, I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Trump has taken really quite a small thing where yeah. where someone who served during Vietnam yeah. said they served in Vietnam yeah. and, and gave no more details and turned it into this massive kind of valour-stealing event. Yeah. Yeah. And and created this myth about Blumenthal being a serial liar and, and claiming that he was a massive war hero. And watch this happen. Every time Blumenthal ever says anything against Trump, Trump will fire back with this insult, with this complaint. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always the same. And he never addresses anything Blumenthal says. He just says, you know, phony Vietnam veteran Blumenthal is saying this. Yeah, we, we shouldn't listen to him. And it's, f- it's phony, phony Vietnam facts that Trump yeah. is making up. So, yeah. yeah. But does anybody call Trump out and say, "Yeah, you always say that, and it's never been true"? Yeah, yeah, people do, but it doesn't make any doesn't difference. Make any difference. He, could, no. he just keeps doing it. No. <sighs> and. Now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. You won't be surprised to hear that the uh, idea of ad hominem also occurs in UK politics. In fact, it's kind of almost enshrined in the function of Prime Minister's questions, which, uh, as we've discussed before, there's um, questions are asked by the Leader of the Opposition to the Prime Minister uh, about issues, pressing issues of the day, about the, you know, the incumbent government's policies towards education, transport, whatever. And it seems to be de rigueur for the Prime Minister, who is being asked these questions, to not actually answer them. Surprise, surprise. And they spend most of the time deflecting um, the answers back, batting them back and turning them into questions for the leader of the opposition um, and in doing so, people's focus is then saying, well, why isn't he answering? Why isn't he answering these? Well, because it's not his job to. He's not the prime minister. So just to set the scene, this is a famous one. Before Cameron um, whistled his merry tune and left office after having lost the uh, EU referendum, um, he was talking, they were swapping insults no, they're swapping observations about what their mothers would say to them. And um, Cameron launches this one to Corbyn. Oh, I think I know what my mother would say. I think she'd look across the dispatch box and she'd say, put on a proper suit, do up your tie and sing the national anthem. So they're talking about the, the National Health Service and Corbyn is saying... You know, what, you young man, young whippersnapper, Cameron, you slimy git. What would your mother say about, you know, this systematic dismantling of the healthcare service that allows access free? Um, you know, it's a, it's a healthcare service that's free at the point of access, regardless of your um, class and wealth and position in society, you can get free health care um, because of the National Health Service set up by a Labour government after the war. And Cameron, instead of saying, you know, do you know what, Jeremy, you're right, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. My mother would be disappointed in my sense of entitlement and the fact that I feel that I can rule through that entitlement over people who I've never met, who are worse off than me, uh, without any kind of feeling of remorse or anything. Instead of saying that, he says, well, I know what my mother would say. And he points it straight back to Corbyn, who is wearing a light-coloured jacket. His tie is slightly undone. He's recently not sung the national anthem at a... uh, Where are we? At at some remembrance service that uh, he attended... And so he's pointing out, well, yeah, just smart yourself up, man. You know, you've got, you can't come at me about the NHS because your tie isn't done up properly. Yeah. And, you know, to, to the, the roars of other entitled, pompous, self important 
care, uncaring people in his side of the party. Um, so going on from that, this is the, uh, the update to the the well, like a year later, Theresa May is now in charge, um, and Corbyn is asking a question about schools. So there's a new uh, funding structure that's being uh, discussed in consultation by the Tory party. Various Tory ministers have said what this is going to lead to is a an effective cash cut in the funding available to uh, primary schools and secondary schools um, because it's all being diverted to free schools and the Tory party wanting to reintroduce um, a tiered schooling system. So it is about you know, putting those people who are able to afford to go to or who are brighter off into a different school. So they're streaming the schools and bringing back in grammar school education, which was the kind of thing that was going on when Cameron was a boy, when Corbyn was a boy. And Corbyn doesn't like this because he's a, uh, you know, he wants health for the many. He wants uh, equal opportunity for education for the many. And that's a, he's a socialist, good socialist principles. And so he's asking questions about uh, the budget and Theresa May comes back with a Tory kind of response. In the budget, the government found no more money for the school's budget, but it did find £320 million for her own special schools, grammar schools, vanity project. So there's no money for Eileen schools, yet £320 million for divisive grammar schools. What kind of priority is that? He talks about the issue of the sort of system in schools we want. Yes, we want diversity. We want different sorts of schools. We have put money into new school places. But I say to the right honourable gentleman, his shadow Home Secretary sent her child to a private school. His shadow Attorney General sent her child to a private school. He... to a grammar school. He went to a grammar school himself. Typical Labour, take the advantage and pull up the ladder behind you. And they bloody love it, the entitled sods. And and it isn't typical Labour, we'll get on to that in a minute, it isn't (laughs) typical Labour to climb up the ladder and pull it up behind you. That's typical Tory. So she's doing that thing whereby you accuse the person that's accusing you of things of doing the very thing that you're doing. And Corbyn later on, I mean, it is unbearable and it does make my hackles rise because I'm naturally not a right winger. Um, And Corbyn, to his credit, he doesn't rise to the bait at all. He just says, well, what I want. It's a staircase for everyone. I don't want a ladder for the few. I want a staircase for the many. And you go, oh, that's really nice. But the ad hominem there, instead of her um, facing the issue at hand, which is there's not funding for existing schools, there's funding available for making what she then terms as diversity, um, is for making these streamed schools. So let's put all the all the bright people up up here and there's put all the stupid ones down there and instead of answering that she just goes through this list and blames him for members of his cabinet sending their kids to what is the available you know with no explanation or background story um, to even down to you sent your kid to a grammar school and you went to a grammar school yourself and you get well that what that's as if that negates the position that you hold. So what? So he he kind of, if you went to a grammar school and there and thereby experienced the inequality of the education system, then you could use that education to and the access to power that he that it granted him to become a politician to make that uh, more equal in the future. That's a a very valid way of doing it. Yeah, that's an interesting mixture of different fallacies, really, because um, 
I think that also includes some some circular reasoning there because or possibly begging the question because saying that that he shouldn't be against it because he was advantaged by it mm. presupposes that it's an advantage yeah which is what he's saying it isn't yeah he's yeah. saying he's saying <laughs> yeah. it's not an advantage yeah and it's and it's just it hides the fact that she hasn't made any answer at all and that she's made all these kind of fallacious twists and turns in in questionable support of her answer non-answer and then it's kind of swamped by this tidal wave of jeering from the benches so that she doesn't have to give any more detail and just sit there like some kind of smug crow yeah there we go so the my final example was actually Tony Blair, who uh, was the leader of the Labour Party, is joining the ranks of people who are frequently judging Jeremy Corbyn as being morally disgraceful and outside the legitimate parameters of politics based on the fact that he's kind of, you know, turned up in the same country as a member of a a currently banned terrorist organisation. So there's this article written by um, Owen Jones, who we talked about before, who's a quite a left-wing socialist. He's a big supporter of Corbyn. And he starts off by listing the kind of people that Tony Blair hangs about with and regards as palatable. And there are millions of pounds been received by Tony Blair's Institute from Saudi Arabia, a regime where homosexuality is punished by death. Um, another client has been the dictator of Kazakhstan, who's played paid Blair millions for services rendered, including advice from our former prime minister on fixing his reputation after his regime was responsible for the massacre of 15 striking oil workers. Then what's interesting about it is that Owen Jones kind of catches himself out and says, however... Raising these points invites an inevitable response, which certainly does from the likes of us, that this is playing the man. It is ad hominem, and you should ignore all that and listen to what Blair has got to say rather than the fact that he has this reputation for hanging about with dictators, not unlike another orange-faced flag hugger that we know. And what Owen Jones finds interesting in that is that Blair is more critical of his own party's leader than he is of the dictatorships from which he is happy to accept employment. Yeah, I think, again, there's a there's an interesting mix of fallacies there because it's, it's definitely some ad hominem, but it's also mm. quite a lot of guilt by association Yeah, yeah. about yeah. judging Blair by the people he hangs around with. But it's yeah. reasonable to say that he chooses to associate with those people and therefore mm. that says something about him. Um, yeah. There's also, we're discussing here uh, abusive ad hominem, which mm. is um, the, the the personal attacks and things like that. Um, mm. There's another kind of ad hominem called uh, circumstantial ad hominem, which right. is where you assume that the arguments people are making um, are because it's convenient for them in some way, because that helps them. And so that could be argued to be when Owen Jones is saying that, that Blair associates himself with these people because he takes money from them, mm-hmm. um, and and therefore it's convenient for him to make these arguments. It's convenient for him to see them as more acceptable than right. yeah. other people yeah. might see them. So yeah, there's a there's a little bit of that in there as well, and we'll ah, we'll probably yeah. talk about circumstantial ad hominem in more detail. In yeah, yeah. If somebody does that to you, if somebody calls you Pocahontas, and then what can you do? Well, I mean, with Trump, it makes no difference at all because you could just <laughs> no. say, "Well, it isn't true, it isn't true, it isn't true," and he will just keep doing it. I think it's it's very difficult if someone is doing it to your face mm-hmm. because then you start defending mm. the attack. Yeah, because it's if someone says something negative about you, it's pretty hard to say, and ignoring whether that's true or not. Uh, that yeah. doesn't affect how yeah. what point I'm making. That doesn't affect yeah. the veracity of what I'm saying, because it, because you can't really usually say I, I, I'm not going to address whether the the bad thing you've said about me is true. Normally, you have yeah. to address it. If yeah. they are saying it about someone else, and you are trying to to combat that, then it's okay to say that. Yeah, it's easier to say that. You can we can say uh, on on its face, 
although he didn't go as far as Trump says, Blumenthal did lie about his military experience. He wasn't in Vietnam. He claimed he implied at the worst that that mm. he was. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't affect his views on Supreme Court nominees. Yeah, yeah. So we should listen to those and and judge those views based on whether we agree with them or not and the logic mm. of the views, rather than based on whether um, it's true that, that Blumenthal lied about whether he was in Vietnam or not. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, because I think the uh, my example of the Prime Minister's Questions one is that Corbyn doesn't rise to the bait because if you start defending yourself... It takes you off track. It takes you yeah. away from the argument that you're yeah. to make, which is, again, which is exactly the many point fallacies. Of, yeah, and it's the point of the ad hominem attack in the first place is to make you do yeah. that. Um, and, of course, if you don't defend yourself, then you can be accused of saying, ah, you see, he didn't deny it. I don't think anybody yeah. denied it. Absolutely. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. A fitting tribute, I think. It there. is yeah. tribute to the late Keith Flint and the prodigy there, their version of Fallacy Starter, I guess you would call it. <laughs> Yeah, very, very sad. I am I am have been quite affected by that. He's a bit of a hero of yours. Well, yeah, it turns out. Yeah. yeah. Um, where, you know, many of, because I play the Outbursts, who provide our theme tune, I play for them, and we are a, you know, sort of a punk, a devotees of the punk movement from the 70s. And I think what the Prodigy and Keith Flint did was punk for the rave generation. So we kind of suddenly realised that that's why we really like that music in the 90s, because it's got that, you know, angry sort of handmade feel about it. So, yeah, he's been yeah quite missed. So I thought that would be a fitting tribute. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. <laughs> so in the fallacy in the wild, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And uh, our first example this week, we, we talked about um, Direct TV in mm, our Slippery Slope yeah. episode. Yeah. They have some brilliant adverts mm. using the Slippery Slope fallacy in a yeah. humorous way. Don't sell you and, yeah. Uh, and this, uh, this example is from Time Warner Cable calling out Direct TV directly. Here's something Direct TV won't tell you. They hate puppies. Fact. They charge you every month for HD service. Fact. Time Warner Cable HD is free. Saves you what could be hundreds of dollars. Fact. You could spend those hundreds of dollars on like a mountain of dog food. Fact. Puppies love dog food. Therefore, DirecTV hates puppies. Who hates puppies? Free HD, DirecTV doesn't have it. Time Warner Cable Digital Cable does. Time Warner Cable, the power of you. <laughs> That's, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's kind of something compelling about the inevitability of that logical you know, progression. You just go, Absolutely. well, yeah, yeah. Sets up every step in the chain to show, to <laughs> and, prove. And they're all facts. They are facts. Yeah. You could spend hundreds of dollars on puppy food. You could. That's a possible choice. It's not the only one, but yeah. yeah. So the the argument that's being being made, and implied at least, is you should not, use direct tv because they hate puppies <laughs> yeah yeah that's the implication obviously those two things not really linked even if direct tv do hate puppies doesn't mean their service isn't as good as time warner don't know <laughs> if it is but um that's that's a non sequitur logically speaking so yeah so the second example is from a play yeah which i have really struggled to to find an audio clip of because this part of the play is from The Crucible by Arthur Miller and it's not in the film, the, the oh, okay. um, Daniel Day-Lewis, Winona Ryder thing. Uh, um, this bit is not, not specific. Oh, right. So this adaptation. is from the, the stage version. Yeah. This is from the stage play. So uh, this is where Proctor, which I believe is the Daniel Day-Lewis character, is giving evidence and uh, he is talking about how um, he's asked if, if he um, 
is a Christian, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, God, surely I do love. And uh, a member of the congregation, Cheever, says, he plough on Sunday, sir. And the judge says, plough on Sunday. Cheever says, I think it be evidence, John, I am an official of the court. I cannot keep it. And Proctor admits, I have once or twice ploughed on Sunday. I have three children, sir, and until last year, my land give little. So from that point, his testimony uh, about whether these people are witches or not yeah. is dismissed. Because, not because of the testimony, the quality of the testimony, whether he knows anything about them or anything like that, yeah. but because he works on this or has worked on the Sabbath and therefore right. isn't a good enough Christian. And if, uh, so, right, okay. Yeah, so, so the argument is dismissed because of the man rather than because of the argument. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Mm-hmm. Now, in the last week or so, uh, Trump gave a, an extended unhinged rant of a speech <laughs> which could be said yeah. about any seven days really. exactly yeah so how do we distinguish this week from any other yeah but but this one in particular which yeah. was at cpac um yeah. was actually the according to some sources that i've read the longest presidential oration in history and that wasn't just him being hyperbolic wow. not no not it, not him he didn't even say it wow um yeah, he just went on and on and right. on. And it got... Well, I mean, it started out crazy because yeah. he came out and he hugged the American yeah. flag yeah, like I a know. weirdo. Yeah, yeah. And then he just talked about all kinds of different things. It was so bizarre. Basically, what I'm saying is yeah. the, this week's quotes are from that okay, that speech. Okay, and possibly the next few weeks' quotes because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. Because there was yeah. a lot, but even yeah. even within that speech, I've still these still have a theme. Uh, they're about how much everyone loves Trump. Oh, okay. To him, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, statement number one. Yeah. When I meet with prime ministers, when I meet with presidents, and I get along with them because they know that what's taken place over many years, not just the Obama administration, long before that, they can't believe themselves that they got away with it. They can't believe it. An impossible thing. And they like me. Okay. (laughs) Statement two. So we're great friends now, Lindsay and I. I mean, I think he likes me a little bit better than I like him, but that's okay. We had some rough moments during the campaign, but now he does whatever I tell him, so we're friends. He's a good... And even little Marco Rubio says nice things about me. It's true. Can you believe it? It's true. He was Mm. talking about Lindsey Graham at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And statement number three, this, Mm. he's uh, talking about the Democratic governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. But he called me up the other day recently, let's say four weeks ago or so. He said, I just want to tell you you're a great president and you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's what he said. Now, that's what he said. Will he admit it? No, I doubt it, but that's what he said, and you're doing a great job. So, yeah, that's that's a typical Trumpism, isn't it, where he just says, um, that's what he said, but he won't say that. He won't ever say it. So you could just... Yeah, don't ask up. him about it, because he'll just no, deny it. He'll just deny it, you know, and what <laughs> that does is just prove the you know the strength of his feeling. And he just go, what? Yeah. He's, ah. Okay, right then. So... So, yeah, everybody likes him. He's doing a great job. We all like him. No. Uh, okay, well, I th- I think number two is real. Because mm, mm, likes me a little better than I like him. But I think he hated him, didn't he, because of what happened in the campaign. Because uh, he, like, beat him right at the early primaries. Um, when I meet the Prime Minister and I meet the President, I get along with them because they know what's taken and they can't believe they get away with it. I, can't, well, I think that one's probably true. Called me up the other day. Let's say for what you go. I want to leave blah, blah, blah. See, I think that one's true as well. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to take a punt on number two. I think number two is the one you made up. Okay. Yeah. 
Even little Marco Rubio. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you sure? You yeah. Change your mind? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. I'm going to stick. Yeah. Number two is the one you made up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you think number one is real? I do. And number yeah. one. Yeah. Is real. When I meet with prime ministers, when I meet with presidents, and I get along with them, because they know that what's taken place over many years, not just the Obama administration, long before that. They can't believe themselves that they got away with it. They can't believe it. An impossible thing. And they like me. That's just typical, isn't it? They kind of, it's just what he thinks. And then yeah. he ascribes that to other people. And it's vague, vague. You it's can't... really vague. It's super vague. He doesn't make clear what he's talking about when he says no. they can't believe they got away with it. Or who they are. Or... Yeah. Just, well, say that. he got... He got specific from mm. after immediately after that. He right. started talking about President Xi, and okay. well, I'll play it because he he went further. <laughs> right, President Xi of China. I have great respect. We have a great relationship. I say, how is it possible that you got away with this for so long? <laughs> and he said, because nobody ever asked us to change. It's true. <laughs> so what do you think the odds are that trump actually asked she how have you got away with this not specifying mm. what yeah for so many years and she yeah. said well you know nobody ever asked us to change yeah he, and and in fact after that he went on and said the the other presidents said uh, you know we did these things and we expected someone to call us and tell us you can't do it but no one did this is just bollocks <laughs> It's like, there's, there's, no never sign, there's no signs up. There's no, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. no kind of rules in the international rules of behaviour yeah. that we Which can't... Because we could get away with it. Yeah, we can't introduce the death penalty <laughs> for drug offenders. Yeah. One of the things he cites at them uh, when he does start getting specific about mm. things they got away with is is tariffs on American cars coming in. And he says right. they just yeah. went, they went from 15% to 25% to 40%, um, yeah. and no one did anything about it. Just to point out, yeah. They only went to forty percent in retaliation for Trump's tariffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? So, so that was number one. Yeah. So you oh think God, number three number is real? Yeah, yeah. Your great president, you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. I, I think that's real. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> number three. Yeah. Is yeah real. But he called me up the other day, recently. Let's say four weeks ago or so. I just want to tell you, you're a great president and you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's what he said. Now, that's what he said. Will he admit it? No, I doubt it. But that's what he said. And you're doing a great job. <laughs> it's just what? And you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. Really? Zero really? percent chance that I actually have. Yeah, yeah. So, what? This is it's... a Democratic governor of yeah. California. So this, is not, this is not Lindsey Graham. one of the people I've ever met. <laughs> And you're yeah. doing a great job. I just want to tell you, you're a great president. Will he say that? No, I doubt it. Because he never <laughs> did. That's what? No chance. No chance that happened. What the? And you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. Well. Now, what this means is that right. you've won again. You've oh. had, what? Two in a row. Hey. This is your your longest streak. You've it equaled is. your longest streak. Exactly. Uh, people tell me I'm doing you, a great job. Yeah. Which puts you for the first time yeah. above Charles. Oh, yes. You are now on 35%. Oh, right. You see, Congratulations. tenacity and yeah. stick with itness and, and <laughs> blind luck. <laughs> They're all combining. Now, to, I think, uh, I think what this betrays <laughs> is the fact that I am just having a lot of trouble being as crazy as Trump. He's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. really is. Yeah. I can't keep up. With how insane no. you need to no. be to sound like Trump. So I'm and actually, the ones, the ones that are, uh, yeah, but yes, you can't. You're not insane enough. <laughs> they need to be more random. Oh my god, that would just drive you mad, though, wouldn't it? If you're doing, if you're going to try and be as mad as him, it's it's bit, really yeah. really hard because some uh, there's so many bits of that speech, the two hour two minute speech, that just they're kind of rambling going from one topic to another in the middle of a sentence and it's hard yeah. to listen to let alone yeah. try and replicate 
Well, it's, yeah, it's complete. It's, it is one long non sequitur, isn't it? And the thing is, I mean, they, they say it's the longest speech uh, in presidential history, but mm. but to be honest, I mean, what constitutes a speech? Mm. I, I don't. I'm not sure it was a speech. Just really. standing up. And it was using, just it was using just the power him. of speech. Yeah, it was him talking in front of a large number of people. Yeah. I'm not sure that's enough. It's not a speech. No, that's not. It's not the Gettysburg Address, is it? Yeah. It's not. Uh, no. no. Just so, podcast listeners, I ne- I really need your help to pull Mark. <laughs> if you are insane and <laughs> and think you can make up a convincing fake Trump quote, please, please send it to me. You can so share this episode on Twitter. Having to, having to listen to Trump. <laughs> Include your quote in the hashtag fallacious Trump, and I'll pick the best one, and you'll be podcast famous. This is the part of the show that this week at least is called Progressive Comedy is Not a Logical Fallacy because this week I am joined by comedian, regular guest on the Jimmy Dore Show and the Young Turks and host of the streaming news show on YouTube, Get Your News On With Ron. It's Ron Placone. Ron, welcome to Fallacious Trump. Hello, thanks for having me. So how long have you actually been doing comedy? Uh, it's been over a decade now. Yeah, I started kind of right out of college and sort of thought I wanted to do radio which I guess I still kind of do, but, um, or I, I do radio, but, uh, but yeah, I thought I wanted to do radio. So I tried stand up and then I kind of got bit by the bug and I, you know, I toured pretty much full time for about five years. Uh, then I came out to Los Angeles and, uh, started working with, uh, the Jimmy Dore show and started doing more stuff. Um, you know, as far as content creation went and now I, so now I kind of do a little bit of everything, you know, I, I create content and then I also go on the road some and, and it's nice. And how how much of your show is kind of political? Well, my stand-up is kind of a little bit of everything, you know. I mean, I don't, you know, when I do a stand-up show, I, I don't do 45 minutes of nothing but politics because there's more to my life than that. So, you know, I talk about my life and I talk about uh, my relationships and I talk about just observations about the world and, you know, bigger picture things about the world that aren't necessarily political um, you know, but then I also go into some of the stuff of, hey, this is what's going on right now um, that I think is worth talking about. And I have uh, thoughts about in punchline form. You know, the comedy tour I do is is the progressive comedy tour. So we get people that are familiar with the shows that we're on. Uh, I'm referring to myself and Graham Elwood, the other comedian I do the tour with. So, you know, we get people that are kind of coming out knowing that's the sort of stuff they're getting into. Although it's probably fairly well known in the US, I think there's probably some of our UK listeners might not know really the difference between progressive and Democrat. So could you just give us a kind of really quick version totally, of, of yes. where you stand on that? I would love to, and, and I'm stoked to be giving it to an international uh, audience. 2016 was a very uh, was a very struggling time for a lot of people in the United States that, you know, are on the left politically because we, we kind of realized that all of our worst suspicions about the Democratic Party were true. Um, you know, over in England, for instance, uh, I mean, in many ways, the Democrats, not in all ways, but in some ways, the Democrats are to the right of the Tories on certain issues. Uh, but that really isn't reflexive of the people in the United States. Like, like, like the people that live in the U.S., are much more, uh, you know, progressive and left-leaning than is reflected in our electoral politics. Uh, are we a little bit behind, you know, England and Scotland and Canada and France and places like that? Yeah, we probably are, but but it's not what's reflected in our electoral politics. The problem is, is that we have a two-party system that is bought and sold by the same people. Um, so in the end, we really have this money party And, you know, the Democrats talk nicer than the Republicans. And that's about it. And our Overton window has shifted so far to the right that it's almost become a parody of itself at this point. So, you know, there are some progressives within the Democratic Party because there's not really a viable other option yet. But, you know, when you really peel back the layers, we have two right wing parties. One is a center right wing party. Um, center right by contemporary United States standard. I, I think in the in the UK it would just be considered a right wing party, and that's the Democrats. 
And the other side are the Republicans who are just, I, I mean, I think the nicest way to put it is a, a fringe right wing party. I, I think in the UK, it would just straight up be called fascist. So those are our choices, right wing or fascist, as far as the rest of the world is concerned. Um, we're we're not that's not who we are. <laughs> I don't for one second believe that's who we are. If I did, this whole interview would be me convincing you to let me be your fucking roommate. All right. So that's not who we are in the United States. Obviously, there's room for the Democrats to move further to the left. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think um, that might be part of the the response to someone like Trump coming along? A lot of people are trying to do that, and I'm for it. Um, I'm certainly not against it. I have certainly supported people that are running as Democrats. Uh, I would like a viable third party in the United States. And the problem is, is that it's really set up to prevent something like that from happening. I mean, the, there's laws as far as debates go. There's laws, uh, you know, as far as funding goes, where it's like you're just going up against these two behemoths that take the same donor money. So basically corporations in the United States, they're going to win no matter what because they bet on both horses, so to speak. I think it's possible we could build a viable third party uh, outside of the system that they would have to kind of um, that they would have to kind of give lip service to. I mean, the last time we had a viable third party in the U.S. was I, I think it was in the 1800s range when the Republicans, you know, just became the Republicans in name only, uh, you know, and then eventually led to the party they are today. So it's been a long, long time, <laughs> but it's not impossible. And what I like to tell people, I'm like, look, history repeats itself. Sometimes it takes a really long time, but history does repeat itself. Look at right now. We have wealth disparity that hasn't really been seen since ancient Egypt, pretty much. History repeats itself. Sometimes it just takes a while. I think it's time for a new party. And how important do you think comedy and satire is in helping that to happen and in kind of informing people about what's going on? Well, you know, for me, it's it's it keeps me sane. I mean, I don't know what I would do otherwise because, you know, I, I pay attention to this stuff. I mean, I was a news junkie and I, I was really into news and politics before I got into comedy. Um, you know, some people it's the other way around. Some people are in my boat, you know, it depends on the person, but you know, so I always talked about politics and stuff like that. And for me, it was kind of a vehicle and a coping me mechanism and, and just a, 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 an essential creative outlet. You know, I, I like to paraphrase Harvey Picar. Life is about love, gigs, and being creative. So, you know, you take something you're passionate about and you try to be creative about it. At least that's what I try to do. Um, and I think for audiences, a lot of times, you know, what I've learned with, uh, you know, especially Get Your News On with Ron, you know, the whole per purpose of that show or the premise of that show is that, hey, the world is pretty bleak. It's a lot more uh, easy to digest if we figure out what's going on each morning uh, together as a group with a goofball lefty comedian leading the way. Um, you know, so that's like the premise of the show. People send me what's going on in the world. Like, like the whole idea of it is that I don't have this pre-planned. I don't have a pre-planned show for the audience. The audience tells me what's going on and we talk about it together and we find about find out about stuff in real time. And it's a really and it's, fun and it's live, show, right? So, so and it's live. Kind of watch you finding out about the news as you as you read the stories, right? Yes, and it's live. And and sometimes I have to get that disclaimer because sometimes people will watch clips and they won't be familiar with what the show is, and they'll be like, "Why didn't this fucking guy like read something before he did this?" <laughs> and it's like, well, no, that's not the point. Part of the fun is that I stumble over words sometimes. Part of the fun is that I'm like, "Well, what the hell?" And then I go to the third paragraph and it explains my question. You know, it's all part of the experience. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, they log off that stream just feeling a little bit better about what's going on, feeling like they did their civic duty of, of knowing what's going on in the world to participate within it and, you know, doing it in a way that was uh, more communal and fun for them. And I know that it helps keep my sanity and I really hope it, it helps the audience the same way it helps me. OK, cool. So finally, um do you think there's anything that can be done to convince Trump supporters to move away or move for 
even slightly away from him and and to understand actually what he's like and the the lies that he tells do you think they're just so embedded in it that there's nothing can be done or do I you think have some s- hope for that at all I think some are I think a lot aren't I mean I, there's there's a lot of different factions of Trump supporters you know there there's some people that you know they are just straight up bigots I mean you know like that's just the truth and you know those people I I don't think you're ever really going to change um, but then there are some that, again, they really bought that outsider thing from him. You know, uh, they kind of they kind of really latched onto it and thought he was going to be that guy. Uh, you know, they ran on they liked this idea of right wing populism. They saw how, you know, the Democrats promised them a better situation when it came to jobs and didn't deliver and the Republicans didn't either. So this guy comes along and he says, I'm going to reopen the steel mills. I'm going to reopen the mines. All this stuff was absolutely ridiculous. He's done none of it. But, you know, when you're living in in certain places where you're working two and three jobs just to survive, uh, you don't know if you'll ever be able to send your kids to college because, you know, college debt is ridiculous in the United States. Um, You're going to maybe buy into the stuff this guy's selling. So the idea of someone coming along that is a real populist, that has a real vision for a jobs program, for infrastructure, for a Green New Deal, I think that would win over a lot of people because people at the end of the day, they want a good job. They want a good life. They want to have what the American dream that was sold to them. They want to actually have that. Um, so, yeah, I do think there's a large portion of that Trump base that can be won over. And, and a lot of them, you know, not all of them were for Bernie, but a lot of them were listening to Bernie because they liked a lot of what he had to say. And then when they ended up having a choice between another just establishment insider like a Hillary Clinton, they either stayed home or they just took their chances with Trump. Uh, there's a lot of people that fall into that category. And I think those people, um, you know, they can be convinced to support a left-wing populist. You know, they didn't just subscribe to Trump. I mean, I mean, they fell for his lies, but there's also something that they wanted him to be that he clearly isn't. And I think if the real thing came along, I think a lot of people would flock to it. It's good to end on a, a note of hope there then. <laughs> Ron Placone, thanks very much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you? So my website is romplacone.com, and uh, that's kind of the best wheelhouse for me. On Twitter, I'm at romplacone, youtube.com slash romplacone, and that's where Get Your News On with Ron streams every Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, which I think is 6 o'clock over in England. Am I correct? That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah so it, it's Something evening. Like yeah. It's evening over in England. So, you know, give it a go if you think you might like it. Well, thanks very much. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you. Hey, nice interview. Yeah, good. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Michael Cohen testified before the House Oversight Committee the day after our last episode came out. Honestly, we could spend an hour talking about how that went, but we don't have an hour. So I'm going to need 60 seconds on the clock to cover the most important points. Mark? Okay, doc. Six seconds on the timer. Go. Despite Florida Congressman Matt Gates' attempts at open witness intimidation over Twitter, Michael Cohen appeared before Congress and began with a prepared statement where he called Trump a racist, a con man, and a cheat, and alleged that Trump knew about Roger Stone's dealings with WikiLeaks before the first release of Hillary's emails. He claimed that Trump closely monitored the Trump Tower Moscow deal well into 2016 and presented documentary evidence of the hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels, including checks drawn on Trump's personal account, saying others were also drawn on other accounts and signed by Trump, Alan Weisselberg, and Don Jr. Speaking of Don Jr., during the testimony, he retweeted a journalist who said that. Cohen was, quote, a man with nothing left with no reason to lie or obfuscate at all. Whoops. Cohen claimed that Trump had asked him to threaten people as many as 500 times, including threatening the schools and colleges Trump attended to never release his grades or SAT scores. Republican senators used their questioning time to get Cohen to admit he's lied in the past, forgetting that those lies were claims that Trump didn't commit any crimes. Democrats actually asked some questions. Jamie Raskin got Cohen to accuse Trump lawyer Jay Sekulow of editing the Trump Tower Moscow testimony to make it less truthy, <laughs> while Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had Cohen admitting that Trump committed insurance fraud by inflating the value of his properties and claiming that witnesses to this included Alan Weisselberg and someone brilliantly called Matthew Calamari. (laughs) Matthew Calamari. Bloody hell.
In what reads like an end credit sequence or a roll call of the departed from a war, a House of Representatives panel led by Democrats has sent 81 document requests to a list of Trump associates, ranging from press cheerleader Hope Hicks to evil empire Cambridge Analytica. Even good old embassy-bound Julian Assange gets a look in. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler told ABC... We do not now have the evidence all sorted out and everything to do an impeachment. Before you impeach somebody, you have to persuade the American public that it ought to happen. Well, maybe sometimes it does sound like almost a 100 fishing reels being cast out at once, but I don't care. It is as music, sweet music to my ears. Trump just can't understand people who don't name their companies after themselves, which is why he said this while sitting next to Apple CEO Tim Cook this week. We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. It's almost a year since he called Lockheed Martin CEO Marilyn Houston Marilyn Lockheed. Rumour has it that he's been trying to set up a meeting with Larry Google and Mark Facebook. <laughs> I was toying with with names for how would Donald kind of name his, you know, put fit his occupation in part of his name. So I think we should just start calling him Donald Collusion yeah. from now on. <laughs> Gerald Nadler also said, over the last several years, President Trump has evaded accountability for his near daily attacks on our basic legal, ethical and constitutional rules and norms. And it seems, as the saying goes, many people think he's right. A Quinnipiac University poll shows 64% of registered voters said Trump had committed crimes before entering office and nearly half of voters, 45%, think he's committed crimes while serving as president. Despite Trump's popularity in the GOP, even a third of Republicans said Trump had engaged in criminal activity before his presidency. Perhaps this is what Gerald means by persuasion. Well, take heart, Donald. You'll be okay. Nobody believed the poll that put you in the White House in the first place. And the best thing is his his uh, approval rating among Republicans is still somewhere around 80% or something. So that means there's a good chunk yeah. of people who believe he committed crimes and just don't care. Uh, they still approve of it. Yeah. After Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar made remarks about pro-Israel politicians pushing for allegiance to a foreign country, Republicans immediately started calling her anti-Semitic and publicly demanding something be done. Many Democrats agreed that Omar's comments were unacceptable, so they drafted a resolution condemning anti-Semitism and added in condemnation of Islamophobia, homophobia, racism and all forms of bigotry. Suddenly, Republicans were all, no, wait, that's not what we meant. Let's not go crazy. We just wanted the brown lady to shut up. And 23 Republican members of Congress voted against the anti-bigotry resolution, while white supremacist Steve King voted present because he just couldn't quite decide whether hate is bad. Just when you were thinking that Jarvanka and Ivarid had immense integrity, experience, wisdom and verisimilitude, or how else would they have been granted top White House security clearance for the jobs they obviously fought so hard to prove their suitability for, it turns out that Trump leaned on Chief of Staff John Kelly and White House Counsel Don McGahn to grant the clearances so it didn't look like he was favouring his family. Which, of course, no one suspected at all ever. Just like we all think there's been no collusion. Ah, what the hell, he's got an honest face. Trump finally made it to Vietnam just 55 years after he was first invited. But talks with Kim Jong-un didn't go so well this time. And Trump came away without even a pretend agreement like the one he had last time. Less than 48 hours after the talks fell apart, satellite imagery revealed that North Korea has been rebuilding one of its long-range rocket launching sites. Maybe next time elect someone who's good at making deals. Finally on our finally list, yay! Jacob Wall is apparently eyeing the election in 2020. Our beloved liar-in-waiting and Trump fanboy stressed that the accuracy of the information he spreads is not the important part. All that matters is how far those claims travel and how many people believe in them. This from the guy who's completely shit online lies about Robert Mueller that we laughed ourselves silly about many episodes ago did not translate into the real world where real people asked him real questions about actual evidence. The interview with him in USA Today includes the line, Wall said he yearns for the days before he was born. So do we, Jake. So do we. 
So that's all about arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. This week I was a guest on the Drop the Pilot podcast where I talked about the uh, short-lived TV adaptation of the 1987 film Adventures in Babysitting. If you'd like to listen to that, the link is in our show notes on the website and if you have a podcast that you'd like either Mark or me to appear on, Get in touch with us through the website. If you think we've used the fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump. And help us on our way to our next Patreon goal, where we'll watch Ghosts Can't Do It and mercilessly take the piss out of Trump's acting abilities for your pleasure. And there's still time to vote for Fallacious Trump in a competition where we can win some cool podcasting gear to make the show sound even better. So if you have five seconds to spare, please go to fallaciousTrump.com slash vote and click on the heart. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. I'm off on a fancy holiday in the Australian sun next week, so we'll be back in three weeks instead of the usual two, because the show just wouldn't be the same without me. So until the next time on Fallacious Trump, We'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.